On today's episode of Between the Levees, I'm joined by Mr. Mark Murphy. I knew him in a different capacity in a, in a previous life uh, at AEP River Operations. Uh, he spent many years in the wheelhouse. He's done a lot of ops work at Port Captain, etc. He is now the vessel ops manager for Mr. Murphy. Thank you very much for joining me. Glad to be here, Tim. Good to see you again, brother. You too, man. It's been a been a minute. How, how many years now? That was Ugh, sale was twenty sixteen. Sixteen was it sixteen? Yeah, early sixteen was that sale. Yep, sixteen. Um, yep, I was down there in sixteen. Yeah, I saw you there in sixteen. It's been at least that long. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, let's start off where it all began. Where were you born, sir? Uh, Huntington, West Virginia. I guess that's where the log cabin story starts, right there in uh, a little town on the banks of the Ohio River, Huntington, right? And then grew up on a on another river called the Gondot River, one of the many tributaries of the Ohio River. So, were your parents in, or your father in the industry? No, no, absolutely no. Uh, yeah, oddly enough, no, he was not. He was a he was a Baptist minister in the hills of West Virginia. You know, he was a um he was a preacher you know uh back okay. in the day in the 60s 70s yeah he was and it was a school bus driver so transportation okay. but not the same right what did your yeah. mother do my mother was a stay-at-home mom yep she stayed at home and uh took care of us four kids she we have three siblings and myself and we and my brother he's in the river industry i think you remember him paul also he was he was in that so we're the only two. We're the first generation, and then my son, he is a he's a he's a mate for Southern Towing Company. So, okay, I, I, of course I, I know Paul. I saw he is at Cooper now down here. That's um, right. What about your other siblings? What are they doing with themselves? Uh, they're uh, they're female. So I've got two sisters. Um, one lives in Charles uh, in South Carolina, and then the other one lives in there in uh, Proctorville, right across the river from uh, Huntington there in in Ohio, Proctorville. Ohio. And what are they doing professionally? Um, my my sister is an office manager, and then my other sister was um, she's a she's a stay at home mom with uh, I think four kids. We, she's got four, so she's Good busy. She's very busy. God bless okay. her. I don't know how she does it. What was life growing up in the in the you said log cabin back on the Ohio River or off the Ohio River? <laughs> well, I, I, that was just a log cabin story. I didn't grow up in a log cabin, but I, you know it would have been nice. But no, I grew up right on the banks of the Gondot River, and um, and I think that's where my love started with the river. Uh, it just started right there. Uh, you know, the I watched the river turn chocolate Willy Wonka chocolate brown and run out, and you know it started when you know i just was so curious where the river went where did that water go it ran past that little that we had that we lived in a parsonage next to the church my dad preached at and there was a bridge right there the, right there across it and uh and i used to you know walk out on that bridge and my mother would yell and scream at me but i was always so intrigued with the river and where that water went and um and as i grew up i started saving my money for mowing grass and got a canoe and finally i put in and i would canoe down so far that i could paddle back when the water wasn't running and uh, and eventually i followed that river i followed that the gondot river all the way to the ohio you know and then i got out to the ohio and i'm like okay where does that one go well then that got put on hold till later on till after i got out of high school and then eventually 
I followed that river all the way to head of passes. So that, you know, so eventually I, I saw where it all went, but that's where it started. Uh, just a real childlike curiosity of where does that water go? You know, it has to go somewhere. And someone told me one day, a science teacher, somebody, that water goes all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And I thought, there is no way. How does that happen? So anyway, that's how it happened. And, uh, and I was so blessed to get to follow it all the way to the end, you know, so pretty cool. Were you drawn to anything in school growing up? Was I what now? Drawn to anything in school growing up. I, his, history, you know, I was not, I wasn't a, what you call a, I'm a, a math person, not, not a math person. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm a more visual visual person I, I liked i see things i'm a i'm a visual learner audio uh, audio I, I i listened and watched and um and spatial not linear and i think that's what drew me to the river you know and i think it's what draws a lot of people to the river is that you know you just um somebody shows you how to lay a four and a half wire and the next thing you know you you see it in your mind and you lay it and it didn't take a lot of math didn't take a lot of science and um but as far as in school, no, I was a I was a geography loved maps and um, all the stuff that lends itself right to just you know being a great fit for to work on the river, you know, maps and for my dad taking our little trips and used to go to a little place that like AAA and they would give you a trip tick, which Tim you might be too young to remember that, but they was called a trip tick and it was um, it was they laid the map out for you and I always thought that was so cool and uh one day i saw a chart book and a high river chart book and i was like wow this is so cool so anyway to answer your question that math was not it it was something else played football high school football for barbersville high school and uh we went to the state championship my junior and senior years i was one of the co-captains on that team and uh yep that was about it barbersville west virginia home of the pirates Backing up a little bit to a comment you made, for my sake and for the sake of the listeners that are outside of the industry, explain a four and a half wire and then maybe what you can brief overview of all the different patterns, different yeah. layouts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in, when I, you, were, you, you just sparked something in my, you know, my mind there when you said, what did you do in school? And because and, um, we often talk about in the industry and have ever since I've been out here, what attracts someone to the river? Why would someone want to come and do it? But I think that there's a there's a group, there's a natural set that just gets drawn to it. In some ways, the river picks them too. And I think it picked me at some point because it it fit in there. It was a second chance. And that's what I meant when I said when someone when someone would show they showed you things, the deckhands, the mates, the mates, you know, the, the senior deckhand on the boat would show you things it was a visual learning on the job training ojt however you want to say it but a four and a half is there's fittings on the corners of each barge because these barges don't just magnetically connect they're 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 connected by you know usually uh inch uh one inch or three quarter inch steel cables we call wires on the river and they go around these deck fittings when I say fittings they're like um if you've ever if anybody that's watching the show that hasn't ever been on a barge if you've ever been alongside of a dock, a ship berth or somewhere in on one of the bays, Mobile Bay, San Francisco Bay, Tampa Bay, there's big bollards or big 
fittings or round things that look like a mushroom, the best way to describe them. And the wires would go around these things on the corners and you would tighten them down. And that's what holds all the barges together. And there's different names for them. So that was one of the things you got to learn when you first start on the river is you got to learn the lingo. There's like a second language out there. It's like military light or Navy light, if you will. Um, so you get out on the, you get out on the barges and you have to learn bulkhead and that's a wall. And, you know, you got to go to the head, that's a bathroom and the galley, you know, you couldn't call it a kitchen or you'd be made fun of. They would call it the galley. And, you know, a, there was a seating arrangement at the table and the captain sat here and you dare not sit in the captain's seat. And it was, um, it was an interesting time. It was an interesting time for myself as a, as a, as a young deckhand. In 1988 was when I started. January 1st, matter of fact, it was a, it was a, it was day one. So um, it was different. It was definitely different. It was a time in the 80s, the late 80s. Um, but it was the industry drew a lot of people that were introverted, it, it, and it still does to a certain extent because there's a certain amount of isolation out there, a certain amount of quiet. Uh, you know you. Uh, you have to be able to entertain yourself pretty well. Um, a lot of Vietnam veterans were out there in the 70s and 80s after that time, uh, which was interesting because they were drawn to it. You know, they had been over there and they came to the, uh, and it's still, even to the day, you know, a lot of people that are ex-military find that they fit in well. The regiment with the, um, with the chain of command. And there's a, there's a lot of things that are comfortable there for people that were in the military, but I wasn't in the military, but, um, but that was the time that those were the times, you know, that was a loosely, it was a loosely put together. And even before me in the, in the early eighties and seventies and sixties, uh, the rivers come a long ways. It's changed a, a whole lot from drug testing to regulatory, to the way that we do business out there is, is completely different. And it's like everything else. It just changes change is inevitable, inevitable, you know, cyclical. It's one of the ones. So. Well, I won't tell you how old I was in January of 1988, but <laughs> was that immediately after high yeah. school for you? Uh, 85, I graduated in 85. So, um, so, so yeah, so I went to, um, uh, it was 88. It was 88 before I, before, I was a few years out of high school, nothing else to do in that little town of Huntington. You know, you couldn't, uh, but people, you know, people talk about how um, how hard it was, uh, you know, he, in the 90s or, or now it's hard to find a job. Oh, my goodness. It was really hard in the 80s. It was tough. And uh, the competition for good jobs, were, it was tough. It was very hard. Um, so I, I didn't have many choices. Um, you know, I was going to go to college. Um, uh, my mom cried when I went to work on the river. She said, you know, you're the only one that I thought that could make it through college. And you, you, you stopped, you, you, you're going to go get on a boat. But, um, but a, a little girl came along in my life, uh, my daughter, and she, you know, there goes my life, you know, the song by Kenny Chesney. I think he wrote that so that I could uh, tear up every time I hear it. And I see my daughter, because that's what brought me to the river. I needed that, that chance. And I think there's a common theme with that, too. If you talk to a lot of people smart enough or intelligent enough or motivated enough to go to college, but needed to make money, needed to stay in this part of the world and not move away. Um, and that in the, in the in their industry drew me in that way. So anyways, 
uh, college wasn't in the future. So, well, what happened between '85 and '88 aside from having a little girl? Uh, well, I did I did anything I could do in a little you know a little rural town of, of Barbersville and that part Ona and Martha little towns that nobody knows unless you unless you're from there uh landscaping and uh worked on farms and uh took care of cattle and uh you know just basic outside stuff i've always always been drawn to outside uh, you know loved the landscaping and stuff that's actually what i wanted to go to college for was to be a landscape architect i wanted to build golf courses so somehow you know like what they said if you want to hear you want to make god laugh tell him your plans you know and so that's kind of what happened you know i i I found something even better. And when I started on the river, it all took me back to the Gandot River, the little river that was in front of my house growing up. And, and it was so cool. It was, you know, I was enamored by all of it, every bit of it. And uh, gosh, it's, it's great people, great people along the way. Fantastic. Um, would do it the same. Would not, I would change some stuff, right? Just because I, if I knew now what I knew then, uh, or if I knew then what I know now, I would I would have changed a lot of things. But but some things I wouldn't change a bit, and the river would have been one of them. I wouldn't, you know. But um, it's a uh, it's great. It's been great. That's for sure. I would recommend it to anybody that's that's um that wants some adventure in their life for sure. It's been an adventure. It's been Absolutely. crazy. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been well. While I was very much in diapers, tell me about your first time stepping foot on a tugboat. Stepping foot on the tugboat. It was in uh, South Point, Ohio, on the motor vessel R.H. Beamer. Uh, stepped on that boat, and uh, um, and it was on January 1st, and it was cold, so cold. I mean, cold, cold. Uh, you know, a, a West Virginia... Catlettsburg, Kentucky, Huntington, you know, tri-state area, cold, rainy, snowy, spitting cold, you know, 32 degrees and raining, wet, cold. And uh, and I remember the one thing that I remember the most is the radar. I was absolutely blown away by the radar. I thought that was the coolest thing. And they, uh, the folks that, uh, that I work for, Spirit Marine, um, the captain said, uh, we just paid, I don't know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars for that radar so that you can see it in the daytime. It was like, wow. You know, but anyways, I remember that day. And uh, and uh, actually the guy that was I was on there with, we were we've been lifetime friends ever since then. And we've worked together and worked around him. You may know him, Larry Evans. Larry Evans and I worked together for many years and he he was he was, he was one of the captains at, at convent and stuff. So he, you may have known him, but um, anyways, he was a great friend. He's, and he's been on the river all the, the whole time that I've, you know, years before I started, but anyways, um, that was my first day. What was the onboarding and I guess training process for a, for a deckhand in early 88? Here's your cheater pipe and a toothpick. Do what I tell you to do. You're a ratchet engineer. You know, that's what they call you. You're a ratchet engineer. You tighten the wires, you do what I tell you to do, and and that's it, you know. Well, one of these days you'll be able to come out here on the head and I'll show you how I get these things landed. You know, and I wasn't we split up, you know, the there was no buddies, there was no real buddy system. That, you know, that that whole idea came later on, but 
the mate would go out on the head and he's the only one with the radio. He had a radio. I didn't have a radio. And sometimes neither one of us had a radio and it was pure flashlight work. We did all hand signals and, uh, and it was amazing how, how much you could get done with hand signals, but it took a while. You couldn't just, you couldn't just learn how a captain read hand signals in one day. It would take, it would take a few days to get to know someone. And, um, anyways, yeah, I remember those days. Those were cold, wet days, hot days. What was the run you were on and what was the hitch you were working? The hitch I was working. Well, at, at first, I first started in the, in the Harbor, in the fleet. And, and that's where I started there in Catlisburg. And the, my journey on that boat exist, existed of build tow on this side of the river. And when that tow's done, we go to the other side of the river and build tow. And when you're done with that one, well, then there'll be another one. That one's gone and we'll build tow on this side of the river and back and forth. And so my, so my quest to see where the Ohio River went was delayed for about a first, the first year as I learned to build tow. But every now and then, we would get to light boat about five miles down the river and take on fuel at Murdy Boggs and Son, right there by the uh, mouth of the Big Sandy River. And that was like, you know, I, I got to see down the straight stretch. So, And as time went on, um, you know, that, that career, that, that job, you know, fizzled out coal booms and waned so much in the 80s and 90s. Uh, sin fuel, all kinds of things that, that just played into you know uh, into how you, you you kept a job or lost a job. Uh, it was it was all based on contracts. Um, it was almost like a vagabond type thing, and and, it, and I think it set a precedence in the industry itself for one of the things that people that uh, that that rivermen get accused of, and I say this nicely, but they pop. They go from they go from one company to the next. Some do, some don't. And a lot of that is no doubt probably people are chasing a dollar or benefits or whatever. But back in the, in, in the day, you, you chase contracts with the companies, the company would get a contract and you would move over to that company. And, Hey, I hear this job, you know, they got a, this is playing out over here. A lot of word of mouth. Uh, and that was all done by radio. There's no cell phones. Remember, this is a world with no cell phones and, the, the lines of communication, would you call them at home when you got home because the phones were at home uh, or you talked on a radio? The radio conversations were so intense. Every channel was full of somebody talking about something. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, did that answer your question? I've just been rambling on here. What, what did you, what was the original question? I think uh, I asked about a four and a half, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm game to listen to everything <laughs> you have to say. <laughs> this but you knew this you're asking me to do this to call that that i would get that i'm a rambler but i you know oh, you're man. taking me back there i haven't thought of those thoughts in a long time and, and like i said those are very pleasant thoughts for sure well people seem to like rambling my longest episode was two and a half hours long and that one was the record holder for quite a while um okay well so uh no i asked you about your your entry into the into the industry anyway aside from yeah, that anyways it's Oh, really? uh, how did your career advance next? Um, you know, I was on, was on the river about two years, two and a half years decking. So 88 to 91. So 88, 90, 88, 89, 90, somewhere that I, I went to school to get my license in Memphis, Tennessee in 91. Um, 
went went and got that license and came back and they put me to work on a big old 600 horsepower boat with no generators and all kinds of stuff and I started spotting barges and you know and then just one thing led to the other and I wanted to go see what was I wanted to get that mission of seeing where the river went I wanted to chase the Ohio River to where it turned into the Mississippi um little did I know it'd be years later before I could get there but long story short you know I had to I had to move with the contracts with the coal contracts and uh and I moved from you know a couple a couple moves uh, made some great friends um and then it was captain you know 91 I got to go drive a boat I was a I was a pretty young man you know in my early 20s and uh uh, motivated, man, I was motivated. I wanted to see what was next. And when they would say, Hey, have you ever been to, you ever been to Louisville sun? And I'm Nope, but I'll go. And away I go, you know, well, have you ever, then I was posted to Louisville, right. But self-posted, there was no, there was nobody rode with you. The captain got up and, and helped you down through the bridges and Cincinnati and all these places. And they would get up and they would talk. We would talk about them for miles before we got there. You know, and you get people over on other channels when you'd be talking on the radio and say, hey, man, how, I'm asking total stranger. How do you make the Cincinnati bridges? You know, how do you do this? And there was a lot of ways we posted ourselves back then in ways that we don't do now. In some ways, it's better now. And in some ways, we've forgotten just how how high our level of communication was between each other, pilot to pilot, you know, riverman to riverman. Um, so. Yeah. Was that your first time at the sticks or had you been steering prior to that? No, there was no steering. There was, well, I would get up and go steer here and there. And then, you know, and I had a, a guy named Rick Chandler, fantastic man. And I owe him so much. Him and Larry Evans, both, both of those guys were just fantastic in, in how I learned my craft, learned the craft. And, and, uh, and they taught me, you know, back in the day, there was no steersman program. You know, today's steersman program, you, you know, it's, a, it's like a on-the-job training for the people that, you know, maybe that are watching this don't really know what that's like, but it's like a like an apprenticeship program. There was no apprenticeship programs back then. You would befriend a captain and say, look, I'm interested in going to get my pilot's license, and he would reward your hard work by passing along what they knew. And, uh, and Rick was very good about that. Rick made many, many great pilots that come out of Calisburg Harbor. And, um, he showed me, he showed, he would showed me and showed a lot of people how to drive a boat. And then you would go over and you would ride with somebody else and you would learn something from them and then somebody else and somebody else. And then the next thing, you know, you would combine those disciplines and styles into your own natural style. So some days I can hear, you can hear them talk in your head. If you're driving a boat or every now and then when I get, when I'm blessed enough, they'll let me go out on a boat. I've got, you know, and, and drive it around and do some things and, I can hear that, you know, hear those people tell me, you know, you remember this because it was, there was, um, you know, you wrote in a chart book, you wrote everything down, you, you wrote all of it down. And then you also learned again, visually, like we talked about the early part of this conversation, it was visual and it was auditory where they told you, you know, when you come down on this bend, you want to come early and stay late, meaning you would bring your barges up on the bend early. And you'd stay late and then let it fall off when you came around the bend. So uh, those were adages, come early, stay late. And then, you know, and you would hear, don't run in the shadows, meaning that's where the shallow water was. 
don't run the shadows run where the moon is and that's in the channel stay in the don't run in the shadows and there's a whole bunch i'm sure if you add you probably want to ask next time you have a cat mother say what sayings did you learn it'll be pretty interesting to hear because they'll probably come up with a lot probably my favorite one was you may be pointed at california but you're still in texas so in other words you got a long way to go but you got a point you got to be pointed in the right direction so right anyway how many barges were you shoving at that yeah it was um you know it, it was it depend depend on what where i was at you know 15 i learned to push 15 on the ohio river uh, and then i you know pretty much uh i worked for the high river company and that's where i got a lot of my posting it was from you know from um from pittsburgh to cincinnati because that's pretty much that's where the ohio river company and then it was orgolf from there on down and um and then when i went went to work for amherst madison that's when i really learned a lot of the other stretches of river the canal and the mon and uh and uh and some other places but you know mainly the ohio river that was it that's where that's where i learned and then uh yeah and ended up going you know ended up in the gulf actually later on but anyway we'll get to that point so was that with a uh, 15 bars tow was that three wide five long normally mm -hmm. three wide five long yeah that okay. a tow. where did your uh your career develop tell me about your the trip that got you to the mississippi <laughs> yeah well when I worked for a high river company, they were, they were nice enough to tell me, I thought that it was 20 or 30 and 30, right? 28, 30 days on 30 days off. And I got to that first hitch and man, it was my 30, you know, for 30 days off. So I called my relief, you know, relief was called up. I was young guy, married with small children, ready to get home. Um, and I, you know, ready to, ready to see my family. And, uh, and when I got my relief, they said, uh, well, your relief will be there but you're all, you're going down and getting on the Peter Fancy and you're going to take barges from Louisville to Cairo. And I said, well, I thought it was 30 and 30. So what's well, 30 and 30, your regular job, <laughs> but you have to ride for another 10 days to post up on other parts of the river. Uh, God rest his soul, buddy Compton at, at Orgolf. And, um, buddy said, that's how it works. Him and, uh, Ray Thornton was the port captain at a high river company. And he said, that's what you got to do. So I got on the Peter Fancy and I was riding heavy. I wasn't actually driving the boat, but I did get a ride along and I got to go all the way in the Mississippi river. And we turned at Moore's landing actually down on the Mississippi. So that was pretty cool. That was very cool. And I felt like I had connected the Ohio river. Finally, that was my, the puzzle pieces were together. Now all I needed was from Moore's landing to Memphis. If I could get that piece, you know, then I could take, Memphis to Natchez and then Natchez to Baton Rouge and then Baton Rouge to wherever, you know, and it was, it was so cool. It was, it was exciting times. Very exciting. But, Tell me what you can about each stage from uh, coming out the Ohio. Yeah. Well, it, way down. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. I mean, because, you know, I, I put the Ohio together and I was probably, you know, I was in my mid, mid to late twenties by then. And then, um, and then made some runs for, uh, down the, you know, I never really connected the, I seen the other sections. I connected it with Amherst and we did some, you know, drilling and we, and I took some uh, crane equipment down the downstream and, and just slowly, but surely locked those pieces in. But, uh, you know, about the time I'd be working that 
uh, you know, I was at Amherst, they would say, well, now you need to go up on the Tennessee river. I'm like, wait a second. That's not the puzzle. You know, that's, that's not what I'm trying to get. Done. You know, what about this? They said, well, didn't you know that you could go to a place called yellow Creek on the Tennessee river, make a right and go South on the Tom Bigby and you'll pop out in the Gulf of Mexico in mobile. And then again, my mind was blown. And, um, and we, I ended up going to mobile before I ever made it to the head of passage. And we went down there and did some work down there in McDuffie cold terminal. And, and I was so, I was just, my mind was just mind boggling that, that I could have paddled my kayak or my canoe when I was a, a young boy, 10 years old, all the way down if I, if I had enough strength or whatever, but you could do that, that all this water is connected and it all runs out. And, um, to me, it was super cool. Maybe to other people, not so much, but it was a, it was a Tom Sawyer moment. You know, it was, uh, it was all that it, I lived all that, that life and, uh, um, and read those books as a boy, you know, Mark Twain and, you know, Samuel Clemens was, you know, one of my, my heroes, you know, and, and reading those stories and, and I feel like I've had that kind of a life to a certain extent. You know, I didn't have to build a raft and go down that way with, you know, all that stuff. But um, in some ways it's been that way. And uh, um, then, uh, you know, then it was, I, I mainly hung out. I never really made it down to Memphis. I made it, I made it almost to Memphis and turned back around. I thought I was never going to make it down the Mississippi until I went to, uh, until 2000 and, 2005 I went to work for AEP and um, I hadn't been there long and a little event happened down in New Orleans called Katrina <laughs> yeah and that storm blew me in you know that's when it blew me in and uh, uh, along with a lot of people you know I mean that storm when you hear those stories about you know how much it changed people's lives that's incredibly an understatement. That's an understatement. There's so many things happened and my life changed dramatically, completely. Uh, when I, when AEP uh, wanted a presence down in, uh, in, um, in New Orleans, uh, you know, and, and some really, really smart people uh, put all that together down there. And that's how you and I met and uh, uh, some great people, some people, I guess I've understood it's been on this show that have that made a huge difference in my life and i owe them uh much respect uh you know and they uh they've changed many many people's lives they were given the opportunity by aep to do that and uh it changed a lot of things and that was a and, and my life changed completely because i moved my family and everything we packed up like the beverly hillbillies and down the road we went and um and I was invited to go down there. That's when, that's when my, that's when my career changed. That's when my trajectory changed, my navigation plan changed. Um, you know, it, and there's so many people that, that helped me along the ways, you know, all the captains taught me how to drive a boat. And, and I, and I feel like I was a successful captain. At least I was told that, you know, um, I had some successes and failures like everyone else. Um, but then I, then the shoreside thing came along and it all changed again. And I was, I was a new guy, you know, I had to learn how to do that. Had a lot of boat in me, a lot of boat. Uh, and, uh, and if it hadn't been for people like Mark Canoy, Paul Tobin, Jeff Kendall, 
uh, Matt Lagarde, uh, a lot of those people that just that are that are you know what you would call some of the greats in the industry, at least in my world, they were. They were so good to my families, and so many, and so good to so many families, people that didn't have things, uh, didn't have a house, and uh, they took a lot of people in for Elmwood Shipyard, and they just they were just it was incredible the outreach, a lot of things that people don't even know how good they were to so many people, including me and my family and gave me opportunities that I would not have gotten, uh, if I would have, if I hadn't, you know, um, believed in them and took off and took a chance and went down there and learned how to headline barges and, in uh, in convent fleet and do all that down there. Um, it would have, it would have, it probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have, I may have ended up here, but I don't think so. I don't, I think if it hadn't happened for Katrina, I don't think it would have happened. I think it would have went some other way. I mean, only the good Lord knows, but, but I know that I sure am thankful for a lot of the people. And I would say that most people, I've not watched any of your shows on here, but I would say a, a true Riverman would thank the people. There's so many people that just helps you along. And I don't know if it's like that in other industries or what, but it just, it seems like this one's very special that way. People are so helpful. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's healthy competition between the companies, but for the most part, we really are in it all together. Uh, you know, um, so anyways, um, it changed. Well, tell me about that first job uh, down here. You were a fleet pilot? Yeah, I was a fleet pilot. You know, I, they, they asked for volunteers. People would go down and live in an apartment. It was just, uh, there was not, everything was level, right? So I moved to a little town in Gonzales and they had us all up in these apartments. And uh, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was wild. It was, uh, I mean, you just can't take a bunch of um, hillbillies from, I can say that because I'm one of them, uh, hillbillies from West Virginia's, from West Virginia and, and take them down there and give them uh, $40 a day cash per diem, put them in an apartment and let them run, drive a, you know, run a boat and go back home. And, and, uh, it was, it was a great time. It was so cool. Uh, you know, we were, we were learning a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our country and a lot about our industry. And, and, um, it was, uh, it was different. It was very different. And, you know, I, um, the people had left, they had just left. There was people down here and you know, you're from this part of the world, that part of the world. And people just packed their stuff up and left, left the boats, left the barges. You know, we chased barges around and put everything back together there at convent. And, uh, um, man, AEP came together and we just, it was a really cool, like melting pot. You know, there was, um, you know, the Cajuns and the hillbillies, you know, it was just kind of, it was really odd. You know, I mean, if you talk to anybody from that was there to experience that it was a real infusion. I don't know if I don't know if Ingram and some of the other places had the same stuff. I'm not really sure. I, never, I, I guess I'd like to ask that my friends over there. I'll have to ask them. But there at Convent, it was a real infusion of of people from different regions really came into there. And I'd never been to New Orleans. I'd never been to Louisiana, read about it, heard about it never nothing and came down there and just, you know, it was infused. And we, we met these people and we come to find out that there's just a hair's difference between a Cajun and a hillbilly. There's just a real, if you think about it is we have 
odd accents, right? We, we say some pretty odd stuff. We've got na different names for things. And the Cajuns have different names for things that only, and if you hear somebody speak in that dialect, in that accent, you know exactly from where they're from. West Virginia has that. I, I think I've lost it because I've been on this wild circle, you know, through, through my jobs. But if you speak with somebody from true from West Virginia, it's the same thing. And when we put those two together, that was such a cool thing. It was so cool. You know, we ate, we killed possums and raccoons and ate stuff and, gator and nutrirat and you know whatever it was just it was just the names were changed that was it but it was like brothers we had never met before we were comparing stories and and you know everybody and not everybody but most most of the captains that were in south louisiana vacationed in the mountains and everybody in west virginia and that part of the world vacationed on the gulf shore so it proved it pretty early on that we all want what we can't have. We're attracted to what usually we, we don't have. And when we put those people together, such a cool thing came out of that. Um, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew a guy named Joe Soche, but man, he was so cool. He was so cool. He took me under his wing and him and his family. And, and you know what? And Denny Palmer, another one, Denny and, and, uh, uh, and Amber, they didn't have to be good to me. They didn't have to be good to us. They didn't, but they were, you know, they chose to be that way. And it was really a cool thing to see how all that came together. And um, it's, you know, it's still down there. It's all, all that stuff's still down there, but that was a cool time to, to make it from West Virginia to South Louisiana. That was, that was a, that was a great time. One of, one of my favorite memories of my career, and it was probably one of the most challenging to learn how to do that. So you, I guess you asked me, how did my career start there and, and go to port captain? Is that what well, you ultimately back up a little bit? What brought you to AEP to begin with? Um, you know, growing up in Huntington, West Virginia, AEP was way more than a, way more than a boat company. You know, that, you know, that was, that was, you know, AEP was the power trucks. It was the energy or the, uh, Schwepco or Duke or whatever power company. Well, in that part of the world, it was AEP and you could see the power plants. You could see the smokestacks, you know, through the peak between the mountains and you would see them. If you went to the river, you know, there was power plants, AEP power plants was concentrated right there in the Point Pleasant, you know, Huntington, uh, Big Sandy River area and coal, you know, coal trains everywhere. Uh, and AEP was the big employer, but you couldn't get a job there. There was no way. When I was decking in 88, I remember looking over at those AEP guys and uh, my mate would say, you'll never go to work there. You got to kill somebody to get a job over there because they live, they work there until they die. And I thought, wow, that would be cool. You know, and you, we would look at those other companies in, you know, and, and hope that someday that you could go do that. And, uh, and when I got the chance, uh, a lady named uh, Charlotte Roush. She she rounded up some of us. I was actually there, um, you know, uh, and she gave us a call and said, look, I've heard great things about you. I'd like for you to come to work at AEP. And I jumped on it, you know, even though I had to, uh, I thought I was going to be working on the Ohio River on one of those 2800s and ended up 
hopping on a plane and going to South Louisiana. So, so that's how the, that trip, the trip down to convent was your first job with AEP. Pretty much, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought about one on the Ohio. How long were you running in convent fleet before you went shoreside? Um, I was there. I started in um, the late fall because it was only a see Katrina happened in August, September. And that it was probably closer to December, January, 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 February of 06. Uh, I went to work down there. I went to work down there and it was still a mess. Like you remember, I'm sure you remember that. Uh, it was a mess. And um, yeah, it was 06. And then uh, I worked there for shoreside. I worked on the fleets and then the redelivery trade from Myrtle Grove. I actually got to go to Empire, so I got to see head of passes. I actually took the boat, you know, uh, now that AEP's gone, I could admit this. I like boated out to the Southwest Pass because I wanted to see it. I had to see it. And uh, we had a day or so, and I took the boat out there. I remember the guys saying, are we – I said, yeah, we're going. I know we can make it. And uh, and we took off, and we went out there, and I saw the I saw the, the Gulf of Mexico. And so I knew where – then I had to backtrack and get the pieces in. And then I, every now and then, then I took – I volunteered to ride boats down from Memphis to the Gulf, the big boats. They were great about that. And, and I think every river company, if they can afford it, they should do that. They should let people see other things. I don't know if all river, river captains want to do that, but I know I'm getting off track here, but I think that there's a point to be made, Tim, is, is that captains don't always leave to go to other companies for more money they leave because they're stuck in a rut or they're adventurous especially the youthful ones they want to see where the river goes they want to live those stories they want to do that and if you can't if at the very least let them go see it put them on another boat let them ride for four or five days down wherever and ap was great about that so i got to connect all the dots and i finally connected that river so a very specific captain or pilot from Convent Fleet comes to mind when you say that, actually. Uh, recently, I don't know if you've been following along, but a uh, little Timmy Wilgerson. Oh, uh, Timmy's fantastic. Timmy, I remember Timmy's a deckhand for Joe Sochet. Uh, you know, the one guy that said was, uh, he was a true blue cage and still is, left to go uh, live his dream out uh, crawfishing and catching bait fish, and he's done great for himself down there and i still stay in touch with him and uh timmy was one of his deckhands timmy's knew he's timmy's father and his father was worked on the dry docks and stuff but timmy's doing well i've been following along on that on facebook but uh okay so yeah. you end up going shoreside what's the job and, and when was that um that was seems like the spring of 07 maybe 06 see fall it was the spring of 07 and um, they were they opened up the job for a port captain. There was only one port captain there at the time, and uh, Wayne Lejeune. And uh, they were they were interviewing for the second port captain, and they said they would be a total of potentially three. They interviewed for the second port captain, and I applied for that job. I thought, well, this is you know I've been driving a boat for 15, 16 years. It's time. It's time. So. I applied for it and um, 
and didn't get it. Didn't get it. A guy named uh, Sean Dozak got it, which is a great guy. Uh, and, and, you know, we later on, we grew to be great friends and coworkers. And, uh, and I said, Shh, I didn't get it. Oh, well. And, uh, but Matt Lagarde came in and said, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to keep you here shoreside. We're going to keep you here. You're going to do special projects. And I thought, what special projects? You know, what, whatever, you know. But anyways, and then that's when I met one of my very best friends and great guy, uh, Terrence Gomez. Terrence Gomez uh, took me under his wing and showed me dry docks and cleaning fleets and this and that and just all everything that was New Orleans. Terrence showed me business wise, him and Sidney Gasson showed me all kinds of great things, um, <laughs> you know, and then Jeff Kendall came along and Jeff took me under his wing, took me. We got on a plane and flew to. Where did we fly to? We flew to, God, I want to say Nashville and flew to Nashville, got off the boat. He showed me all these docks, introduced me to everybody he knew on the Tennessee river and then took me out and showed me. And we drove down here to Paducah and he introduced me to everybody he knew in, in Paducah. There's a lot of people. That man knows a lot of people. And then we went to, uh, went to Cape Girardeau introduced me to everybody he knows and then we showed up for the meetings that we had safety meetings in, in st louis and he he didn't have to do that he didn't have to do that but he wanted to and he just came to work there and um uh and the third floor captain's job came open eventually and jeff kendall was working there and uh i didn't apply for it <laughs> i didn't apply for it and jeff said we don't have to, we were going to post for this. He said, but, uh, but you know, you're going to, you're going to get it. You know, he said, you don't understand. I said, well, I don't want it. I like doing this special projects thing. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. You either do this or you go do something else somewhere else. So Jeff wanted me to be the port captain there. And I'm so glad I did because he taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about uh, business and taught me a lot about the barge business and introduced me to so many people and took up freeze people when, especially when we would make mistakes, just, you know, just boats, people with a lot of boat left in them, you know? Um, and he, he was, he was very good to, to me personally. And, uh, he showed, he showed a lot of, a lot of, of uh, a lot of help. He was a lot of help. So. And how long, excuse me, how long were you in that role? I was in that role. So that was 07. So seven, eight, nine, ten. I worked there till 2010. And um, they moved me. They, um, AP, promoted me and actually moved me over to Mobile, Alabama. And that's when I got to connect the dots from New Orleans, Mississippi Sound, over to Mobile Bay. And got to run that operation. I helped run that operation over there with uh, Matt Griffiths, who was a sales guy over there. Great guy. Just he and I in a little trailer. And uh, and I worked over there from 11 to uh, 2013, 14. So, yeah. Well, before we get too far past that, <clears throat> um, how many boats, how many people, how much, what were you responsible for? up until you moved to Mobile? Um, it was about 188, 
I think I, if I remember, almost 190. <clears throat> um, it was 10, 12 boats, 12 boats I think we had. And I had one boat that ran up the Mississippi, the John Reynolds. It ran up from, uh, it was running Memphis down to New Orleans. They had it on that, and then it would stay down and it would run the New Orleans Harbor, the, the you know, that the Baton Rouge to New Orleans corridor. And then boats in the uh, in the, ran on the Tin Tom just up to Calvert, Calvert down to uh, Mobile, and then some of the boats that ran over to Harlingen and delivered the rolled steel that came out of, of Tissenkrupp there. So, yep. So that, that was a great play. That was a great opportunity. I really enjoyed myself. Well, that was fantastic. You know, that I mean, I couldn't. The ocean, you know, it was right there, and I couldn't believe it. I was working for AP, and to, and to see AP barges with um, with dolphins jumping beside something that said AP on it, and it's growing up as a child. You know, there was these little AP stickers on all the telephone poles because AP owned them all, and to see that logo, and see that, it was pretty cool. So, yeah. Where did your career take you after Mobile? Uh, after Mobile, I went to work at, um, I, you know, I, I went to work at Siemens Church Institute. And um, again, wow, what an experience that was. I learned more about myself and learned a whole lot about what I, I learned a lot about what I didn't know, but more than what I did know. And uh, so anyways, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was a really cool experience. Uh, so I got to learn a lot of things and they, so much training, uh, got to meet a lot of people from the industry. And, and when you work at Siemens church, you can see how other people do things. And it was, it was really cool to see how other people had the steersman programs and how they managed uh, incidents and, and a lot of stuff. So I learned a lot there. It was, it was well worth it. And then what brought you back down to convent when I met you? Well, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, um, I left Siemens Church and went to work back to work for Mark Canoy and Paul Tobin and Jeff Kendall. I got to re go back and work with them when they moved to ACBL and went to work at ACBL from uh, 14. Seems like it was about 2004. I, I, I was at Siemens Church for about a year and a half uh, and um, and went to work for um for ACBL and got to run the steersman program and, and was in operational development and really got to advance my training skills and some of the stuff that I learned at Seamus Church. I went to at um, at ACBL, so and it was a it was a great time. It was a fantastic time and uh, and worked there and then things changed there in uh, at the at, at uh, ACBL at the uh, headquarters and so I moved. Uh, they transferred me back to Convent to run the training center down there. And how long were you down there? Um, I was there until 2017. And then, you know, I think some things, you know, things changed and business models changed at ACBL. So, so, uh, so, you know, I, I, they gave me the option to have a, a severance package or go back out on the boats, you know, at that time that they're just, the, the business was tough. I mean, the market took off hard hard hit right there uh in 17 16 17 so so uh i went back out and started driving a boat again which was really cool because you know there's there's uh knowing the path and walking the path and i hadn't driven a boat for almost 10 11 years you know here and there but not really stand to watch and uh 
that was great because I didn't know if I could do it again. And I could. And I ended up, I, I was really actually probably better at it than I took that break and learned all that stuff and came back out there. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how it went down. Was there a stop in between uh, ACBL and? Uh, yeah, there was, there was, you know, and I worked here and there. I just, you know, after that, I was just kind of like a gun for hire and just did uh, first things. And, you know, and I worked from, with some friends of mine at uh, Marathon Petroleum, uh, some guys that decked for me a long time ago that are port captains there. And, and I went over and worked for them for a while, but pretty much just, um, just bounced around a little bit, you know, uh, as a, a gun for hire and uh, did some uh, professional witness stuff and did, uh, did some other things, just lived, I took a break, just took a break from all of it and drove a boat, enjoyed it, had a great time. Um, came back up here to, you know, in Western Kentucky is where I live now and I can move back up here to Paducah. And, uh, it's just been a big circle, right? Like for so many people, it's just, it was just a big circle and I'm back, you know, back home here on the Ohio river now on the banks. So, uh, blessed life blessed by this life this river life has just been i you know i don't i don't think i could have picked it any better for myself i'm not a wealthy man or anything like that but man i've got the best friends i've made the best friends people that that if i called and and said hey man can you get here they'd say well just let me get my shoes on you know and they would be headed this way right and that would have been joke you know somebody from south louisiana or vice versa you know, you meet these lifelong friends and, and people that work, that work, that reported to me and people that I worked for on both ends of the spectrum, uh, just, and showed real compassion for hardworking people. And, uh, and, uh, anyways, I won't go off on that tangent again, but that's, that's, uh, that's, that's where it's at, Tim. I know you haven't seen the show, so I'm going to take a bit of a right sure. turn here, but as per usual, When'd you meet your My wife? How are, how are your kids? How old are they? What do they do? <laughs> well, I've got a, a, we've got four kids, uh, my wife and I, and we've got a 34 year old daughter uh, that lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She's a nurse right there at, at Our Lady of the Lake in Baton Rouge. And, uh, and then I have a, we have a son that's 30 and he's a mate for Southern Towing Company. Um, and then we have a 16 year old and a 11 year old. Uh, two boys. So, and our youngest, we live here in, in, uh, in um, a little town here outside of Nashville called Katie's Kentucky. And uh, we, we call this home. It's a nice, a nice, it's where we pitch the big tent, right? Well, we got little tents all over the place, but uh, uh, the, my wife, we met, um, we met a long time ago. You know, it's, it's been a long, long time, you know, and we've been together and, uh, you know, it's, I still date her. We date each other. We're still dating, but we're married. Um, she's been the, as she blows me a kiss off screen here, she's been the best thing that ever happened to me. This, this hillbilly. So, uh, but she's, she's fantastic. Next to that big river, I guess she does. Okay. Huh? She does. Okay. Yeah, she does. Okay. Yeah. Um, she does. what do you like to do in your, in your off time? Well, we've got two dogs that run around here on, on, on the little mini farm that we've got here in western kentucky and we live out here got one neighbor and and uh we've got a whopping four acres here and you know that's a lot of land you know because i lived in south louisiana if you had a 120 by 120 you was a you was a land baron you know what i mean 
And uh, I thought I had a lot of land, but my one neighbor, you know, he's got 4,000 acres. And, uh, you know, he politely reminded me that I'm, I don't even, I'm not even allowed to call it a hobby farm. You know, he said, you're going to have to grow something other than those native plants that you grow out back. So um, for fun, I like to hang out on here around this part of the world and drive tractors and stuff with my neighbor. And then also I've got a, we've got a boat because we live right here in the lake region next to Kentucky Lake and Barkley Lake, really big lakes. The ones that you, the Kentucky river runs through, uh, I mean, the Tennessee river runs through and the, uh, the Cumberland runs here all the way to Nashville. So we live close to Nashville, uh, about an hour for the airport and, um, and about an hour from Paducah. So it's, it's well, we live almost right in between both of them. So for fun, we get out on our boat. We have a big time. We pull the, the ski, we water ski and pull tubes and take our boat. We take it to uh, South Louisiana, we go to see my daughter. We take it out on Lake Marpaul and go to New Orleans and we go to Orange Beach and we take it to Destin and we plan on a trip for Key West with our boat. We'll drag it down and go do that. But, uh, um, but it's fun to live up in this region because there's a lot of, this is river central up here, believe it or not, this little town. Um, two poor captains from, uh, from Ingram lives here in the neighborhood. Another one for Heinz Furlong and this one and that one and wherever you, you end up going to a grocery store and you overhear a conversation, it'll have a lot to do with boats. You'll hear people talk about boats and oddly enough, uh, you come in, you walk into the, and this, if you're from South Louisiana, you'll know what I'm talking about. You walk in there and community coffee, they know exactly what dark roast community coffee is. And they know what Koneka sausage is. And they know what Andouille sausage is. And they know how to, they got all the supplies here to make, uh, to make gumbo on New Year's Eve. You know, these are the things you would know if you didn't travel to these places. And, and I, I didn't know you made gumbo on New Year's Eve and Christmas and all that stuff, but you can get that here. But you drive 50 miles in some other direction and it's gone, you know. So anyways. That does cover the extent of my usual questions. Do you have uh, any uh, especially interesting stories that come to mind from your career that you haven't already shared? No, I just, you know, like I said, I, 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 you know, if it was all over with tomorrow. You know, I would, I, you know, I've, I've been blessed with a great life. Again, not a wealthy man, but I'm wealthy in so many ways. I'm rich with friends and great memories and adventure beyond uh, anything you could have written. I could have written for myself. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It was great to meet you. Good to see you again, too, Tim, because I think we hung out and did some, had some cool conversations, I think, you know, in the past. Um, but, um, no, but just that, I mean, people, it, it's a great, it's a great living in a great industry and it's something to be proud of. If anybody works on the river, they should be proud of what they do and, uh, and help somebody, help somebody, help them, teach them what you know. Don't be judgmental though. Don't expect them. Don't make it about yourself. You know, and that's my advice to these guys. Don't make it about you and your experience. It's not, that's not what it's about. It's about their experience and how they're learning. And show them something, but let them learn on their own and let them learn their own way. Because we all have our own styles on the river, whether you're shoreside or whether you're whatever. But uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I would say about that. Yeah, right. Pretty much does it, Mark. Thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome, bud.
Good to see you again, Tim. You too. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.